the Elevate Yourself podcast is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Brewing. Athletic Brewing is beer that is brewed without compromise. It tastes just like the hard stuff, except you don't get any of the baggage. So no hangover, less calories, less sugar, super yummy, and you can drink it any time of day. Encourage you to check them out at athleticbrewing.com and use code ELEVATE30. That's right, code ELEVATE30 at checkout for 30% off your first order. Do it. Hey now, and welcome to the Elevate Yourself podcast. I'm Rob, and I am thrilled to get to be the host of this show. I feel super lucky. I work for this awesome company called Elevation Health. And in each episode of this show, I get to have a conversation with folks from all different walks of life about how they elevate themselves. It's my hope that these conversations will make you think, force you to change your best, and as a result, help you get a little bit closer to becoming the best version of you. Dr. Flack, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Not a problem. My pleasure. So tell folks just briefly about your, your background, your training, your education. How did you end up where you are today? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, grew up in a small town in Vermont and left that small town to go play college football. I went down to the Ferrum College in, in southwest Virginia. And from there, I started to really get a, um, I guess, greater appreciation for the healthy human body. And it really spurred me on to, to you know, change my major from I was the whole goal used to be I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach because I was really into fitness and exercise and, and, and you know, playing college football. Um, but I changed that to, to health sciences because I got really more into the, uh, the physiology behind it all. And that led me to grad school at uh, Virginia Tech in the Department of Dietetics, Human Nutrition. I'm sorry, Human Nutrition, Foods and Exercise. Um, and from there, I got my PhD there. And then I went off to North Dakota for a postdoc. And that was a uh, so three-year postdoc. And I was working for the USDA Human Nutrition Research Center. And that was uh, specifically in the healthy body weight unit. And we did a lot of, lot of high-level, really crazy stuff, uh, a lot of a lot of money there, a lot of opportunity there, and that uh, that really kind of shaped me into, I guess, basically being able to take this my current job as a professor, assistant professor in the Department of Dietetics and Human Nutrition at the University of Kentucky, and I did get my RD along the way too, so been there too. Well, you're so well equipped um, to kind of talk about because I know that your research, and we put this in the show notes, really kind of links. Talks you focus on nutrition and then also exercise, which is really kind of rare, I think. Um, and so, I guess just broadly speaking, for folks, um, kind of general principles that maybe you hold for yourself, or when somebody asks you, they come up to you, or a family member just says, "How do I have? How do I improve my cardiometabolic health with nutrition and exercise?" Or there, there, there's just general principles that you believe from the literature and from your experience are important yeah i think the big thing uh it's overarching idea is linking your nutrition to your metabolic need so eating for your metabolic need uh so for instance uh, different athletes if you're training for a marathon versus you're trying to be a bodybuilder going to be very different dietary intake 
obviously. Uh, and what's healthy for one person isn't going to be healthy for another person. And even within the person. So like my, what I eat for dinner is going to be drastically different if the next morning I'm going to be going for a run versus I'm going to be going to the gym to work out. Or if I'm got a busy morning and I'm not going to be able to exercise at all. Well, I, I'm very particular in exactly um, this idea of eating for your metabolic needs and what your what your true needs are. Well said. And um, I guess on that nutrition standpoint, if we're talking maybe about just general heart health, it's Heart Month. So we're talking heart health. What 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 do you know or from your experience about like foods that are good for the heart? I know a lot of times people are like, oh, it's uh, you know, it's 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 uh, the it's red meat or whatever it is, you know, all these buzz things that people ask me about to you. Um, what's important nutrition wise for heart health? So I will preface that I'm not a cardiovascular researcher. So and I, I, I work with some cardiovascular people who are hardcore cardiovascular scientists. So I don't want to claim that I'm a cardiovascular scientist and I, I don't want to step out, step out of bounds and across my expertise area. Um, saying that, yeah, you know, I, I guess hard to define cardiovascular health. You know, I, 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 am I talking about a cardiovascular patient in a hospital with heart failure? Are we talking about an elderly adult that has seen some decline recently? Are we talking about a young, healthy athlete trying to improve cardiorespiratory fitness? Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of different, um, you know, it's, it's hard to give one overarching recommendation to everything and yeah you know, it's probably a common um common theme in nutrition in general you can't really give one overarching recommendation for everybody but if i can think if i could apply it to i'm guessing the majority of people who are listening to this listening to this is more are more interested in the fitness industry and the more interested in the, the exercise and cardiovascular fitness side of things uh the big thing is to not be overly restrictive and underfueled. You know, it, it's easy to say, you know, you start training up for, say, I wanna run a marathon, so I'm gonna run all these miles and I'm gonna try to do this in a slight energy deficit because I wanna drop 10 pounds. And that slight energy deficit is gonna start to cause, it starts to become a bigger energy deficit and you start to restrict your more food and then all of a sudden you're not getting the not only are you not getting the calories, but you're not starting not to get the uh, bigger picture um, micronutrients, uh, other things that your body, your cardiovascular system is really going to need to make those beneficial ad adaptations. So being sure that you're adequately fueling yourself. And, and if you don't want to adequately fuel prior to your run, so it's not like, okay, I have to get up and I'm, I'm going to go run at six o'clock in the morning today. So I'm going to get up at three o'clock and eat a big breakfast. I'm not saying that. I mean, I do plenty of fasted training or, or training with under in a, in, a, in a deficit. That's fine. But I think focusing on post-exercise nutrition, getting enough, what, what you need in enough protein, enough carbohydrates to restock your glycogen stores. Um, don't skimp out on your macronutrients. You eat, eat your berries and, and, and greens. Uh, it's going to go a long way into helping improve your cardiorespiratory fitness and, and you've been, of course, recovering for the next exercise now. So I think post-exercise nutrition is something that uh, a lot of people sometimes skip over, especially if they're trying to lose weight. You know, they say, oh, I, I just exercise. I don't want to, I, I don't want to uh, 
whatever I say, ruin my workout or whatever. I don't want to ruin my energy deficit by eating some high, high energy dense foods or something like that. But uh, that's not a place, that's not when to skip out on nutrients, I guess I would say. Very good. And I think you, you kind of led into what I, my follow-up question was going to be. So for an individual that's trying to lose weight um, and they're starting an exercise regimen, um, maybe some recommendations, like you said there, not skipping out on the post exercise, um, but maybe talk some about your research and the challenges that people may experience when they start a new regimen um, in terms of the body and energy balance and self-regulating. And people go, I, do, I just started this routine and I've been doing it for eight weeks and my body's not changing. You know, maybe highlight some of the reasons why maybe the body's not changing uh, as quickly as they thought it was going to. Yeah, yeah. So this is more, this is what I've done a lot of research on, uh, it, this idea of exercise for weight loss. So a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people out there who believe that exercise is pointless for weight loss because exercise just makes us eat more, makes you hungrier and it makes you overeat and you wipe out everything that you did with exercise. You, you can wipe out everything that you did. So, or any energy deficit you created with exercise through your eating which is very possible. Like it, I, I, at the average overweight individual, say they go to the gym, they jump on the elliptical for an hour, low intensity ellipticizing, they burn 500 calories, say. And they leave that gym saying, oh, I just worked out super hard for an hour. I'm going to go eat some McDonald's. And then just like that, that 500 calorie energy deficit is gone. So it is certainly possible to completely wipe out an energy deficit by kicking out. And a lot of times that's what happens when we, when novice exercisers start an exercise program. So kind of what I was kind of talking about before about um, post-exercise nutrition, that's usually more for the more seasoned exercisers trying to gain fitness and maybe want to lose, lose a couple pounds on the way. And, but so it's a different population for the people who are new to exercise. They, you know, 20, 30 pounds overweight, doctor says you really need to start exercising. They say, okay, I'm going to start exercising and lose some weight. And their sole goal, their only goal is to lose weight. That's a, that's a challenging place to be for those novice exercisers. Just because this idea of, oh, I just exercised all, I burnt all these calories. Now I'm going to, now I, now, now I want, I, they think I deserve this, I deserve this food. Or they think, I really need this food. I really, I, I just, I just burned all these calories. Oh, I really need this food. When in reality, they still have plenty of calories on board <laughs> to support themselves. So it's a tricky place for those people to be in. It's, it's more of a, um, you know, there, there's a part, part, it's part behavioral. And when I say behavioral, I don't just mean like willy nilly doing a behavior, but there's physiology behind this behavior linked it, I guess, embedded in our dopamine reward system. So dopamine is a rewarding, it's called the, the it's, 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 it's a re reinforcement rewarding hormone, hormone neurotransmitter, uh, basically in, inducing this craving, this wanting, and for, for, every, for any of these re reinforcing behaviors, for drugs, for alcohol, whatever it may be, the alcoholic finds alcohol or wants, needs that alcohol so much that, that because it's because of dopamine, what I'm trying to say. And so the same is true for an obese person, that obese, the obese individual 
really wants that dopamine, really wants that food because of that dopamine response is there. So exercise can actually induce this dopamine, this dopaminergic singling, and can actually spill over into causing food to becoming more reinforcing. So I've done research where I've shown after exercise, people are more attentive towards food cues, even if they're not hungry, even if they're not hungry or hung hunger has nothing to do with it. Um, completely separate issue. They might not be hungry at all. And actually they might be more satiated. They might not feel like eating, but they're still more attentive to, to food cues. Um, so that's a big, that's a big problem, I guess, problem issue. And that's probably why you see, you know, people leave the gym like, oh, great workout, time for some ice cream. Now that's, so that's yeah. one issue they're having. One, one issue, the, the, I guess, the challenge that um, exercise and weight, exercise for weight control presents. And then the other challenge is, is metabolically, we exercise, we, we induce this energy deficit, and, but our, and if we do this con consistently, our body is consistently thinking that we are in an energy shortage. We're, we are in starvation mode. We are, there's a food shortage out there. This is a famine. This like, a, as if, as if we're an animal in the wild and in hibernation mode, we can't find food, whatever it may be. And our bodies actually starts to slow things down. And I say, I hate, I hate to use the term fast and slow metabolism. But what's more appropriate is to say it becomes more efficient. Yeah, Our metabolism yes. becomes more efficient. We burn less calories. We're trying to conserve everything. And that's just going to hurt weight loss efforts. So it's a tricky balance you have to play. You, you don't want to overeat to take away your energy deficit that you created, but you don't want to undershoot. You don't want to be, be at such an energy deficit where your body's starting to freak out and store everything. So it is a, a, like I said, a delicate balance you need to play. And that's why we suggest that slow and sustained weight loss is the best way to do it as opposed to trying to lose 10 pounds a week or something like that. Right. And cause you're inevitably the person setting themselves up to, for failure, right? It's uh, you go with and you're, you, you skip that meal or whatever it is afterwards. And then we're hungry later and I deserve this cause I've been so good. And there's all these, this internal dialogue that goes into folks head. Um, you mentioned the the kind of the past and some of the research you've been doing recently. What's coming up on your research agenda and your interests uh, kind of kind of moving forward? What are you excited about? Yeah, so we have a couple of big studies um, being reviewed now, uh, big grant, grants being reviewed now, really looking at, well, one, I'm looking at strictly looking at these behavioral mechanisms promoting energy intake. And it's kind of getting at that dopamine reward system, that reinforcing value of food. Can, can long-term exercise or does long-term exercise promote food reinforcement? Basically make food more reinforcing. It's not talking about the wanting side of foods. So not necessarily liking, very different. What liking and wanting are two very different things. You know, I, I might, you know, I, I like to eat brownies, but I don't want to eat a brownie every single day. Or <laughs> maybe a, a better example is alcoholism. So the alcoholic who is deep into their addiction no longer likes to drink. They actually wish that they could stop. They see this ruining their lives and they they do not want to, they, they do not like drinking at all, but they need that drink. They want that drink because that dopamine reinforcement is so strong. So after long-term exercise, I've shown that we can actually sensitize people to the reinforcing effects of exercise. We can actually make people want to exercise. And we see this all the time for excessively active individuals. Yeah, exactly. Right, people who are up in, in the gym at five o'clock in the morning every day, those people find exercise very reinforcing. They want to exercise, they're motivated to exercise, they're internally motivated to exercise. Uh, and there's there's some genes involved there. I've, I've shown that specific polymorphisms 
that predict this behavior. And some people don't have them. My wife, for instance, hates exercise, never wants to exercise, regardless of how much she exercises, she will always hate it and never want to do it. So some people are like that. I'll, I'll grant, I'll give that. But really, I, I say the majority of us, if we can become sensitized to those reinforcing effects, we'll start wanting to exercise. And then the same thing goes for food. If you get sensitized to food, the reinforcing effects of food, you're going to want food more. And then the, so I'm, I'm really interested in the interplay between these two and how, what, what kind of crosstalk they may have. So the people who are compulsive exercisers, are they also at risk for being compulsive eaters? Same kind of thing. We see this with drug abuse all the time. Uh, you know, if you're addicted to one class of drug, you're more likely to be addicted to another. You know, how many alcoholics also smoke cigarettes? How many people smoking cigarettes are also using drugs? So it's the same kind of, um, you know, crosstalk as, as, as that in terms of behavioral mechanisms behind it. That's fascinating. Um, and that we, we, we need that research. So whoever is reviewing that grant, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. You heard it here first. There you um, go. I want to go to a, a listener question. This is kind of following up on uh, what we had talked about. This is a, a client case study. So I believe this listener is a personal trainer or a coach of some kind and just says, I have a vegetarian client that eats around 85% clean. Doesn't define clean, but we'll just suppose it's, it's clean. Um, and exercises on average two hours per day, five days a week, but is struggling to lose weight. Her blood markers show no issues. Do you have any recommendations you would give to try to improve her metabolic health? So I guess my, my question, yeah. So, um, and we, we actually see this a lot. People, they may exercise a lot and not lose weight, or they may reduce calories a lot and they may not lose weight. What I would assume, think that might be happening, might be happening, is that they're at the point, so like we see this with dieting all the time, an overweight person wants to lose 10 pounds. They go on a specific energy deficit diet. They lose 10 pounds. Then they plateau. So then they cut more calories. They lose another 10 pounds, but then they plateau. They cut more calories. They lose 10 pounds, but then they plateau. And eventually they just get down so much. They're eating 900 calories a day and they're failing to lose any weight. So I'm wondering if that's what's happening here. This vegetarian who's probably not eating a whole lot of energy, not 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 not, high, not a high energy diet, low calorie diet, um, exercising a whole lot, inducing an energy deficit. Their body is at the point where they're essentially holding on to everything that they can because they think that it's a like I kind of like I mentioned before, they think that they're in a food shortage environment. They um, excuse me, they uh. Yeah, their body is basically trying to resist weight loss as much as possible. So they're slowing everything down. And any chance they have to store anything, they're doing it. They're storing whatever they may have. So I think that's, that's that would be my best guess of what's happening. And so this is got kind of a place where, you know, I, I hate to use the, you know, the, I guess the term, what is it, like a, uh, reverse dieting? Right. So this is where actually some of that, that kind of pseudoscience may actually have some merit where you're trying to correct this metabolic disturbances by overeating, eating far more than what you would usually eat. Um, maybe just a couple, maybe even just a couple days a week, you know, overeat a couple days a week, try to reset that, you know, basically tell your body that, no, we're not in a food shortage. We have plenty. Um, that, that, and that's kind of why 
the alternate day fasting works so well for a lot of people is that, you know, you don't eat anything for one day, you're in a major energy deficit, but then the next day you refeed, your body thinks it's all good. And, you know, 10, 20 days later, so let's say, let's say 20 days later, 10 of those days you were completely fasted, you only ate for 10 of them. Yeah, you know, that's still a significant energy deficit you've created. So in the long term, that's, that's a effective way for weight loss without altering these metabolic adaptations or instigating the metabolic adaptation. Very good. Very good. Very good. Um, I, I, we need to, we're almost out of time. We're going to have to do it to rapid fire, but I was just, uh, you, we, you saw short change yourself because we haven't got to talk about your endurance sports. I've said to people before, people say, Oh, you're Rob. You're so, you're so crazy. How do you, how do you run a marathon or do a Spartan race or do all these crazy things? And I say, I'm not crazy. And I'm not that tough. You've not met Dr. Flack. This man is an, his tolerance for pain, um, exceeds mine two X. Um, so I guess broadly, what, what have you learned in endurance sports, um, that, you know, makes you keep coming back to it? Um, and yeah, you just kind of talk about your own training and things that you're doing for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what I, what I found, well, so I guess first I was a 280 pound college football player first. When I finished, when I finished the undergrad, the, the football world, I said, I don't need to ever squat 500 pounds again or do all these crazy stuff. So I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to take up running. And really what I found was that like, I could feel that my body was using oxygen better. <laughs> and it just made, it made everything work better. So I got more and more into it. And then, yeah, I, I became addicted to the, the marathon running and I you know, eventually got down to a sub eight minute pace marathon. Now, and then I got, then I transitioned to doing triathlons and up to Ironman triathlons. And I just kept trying to, keep going and going exceeding what I thought I could. And I think that's a big thing with endurance sports. For me, I always played team sports growing up. So everything was about the team and about teamwork and everything. But endurance sports, at least for me, is completely personal. Like I don't have <laughs> nothing. I don't, I'm not with the team. This is just all about me. I'm completely selfish. And you get to learn a lot about yourself, about your own limits and about how your body responds to certain, certain things, certain stressors. And um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's a fun experiment. That's basically what it is, what I've always treated it as, as just experimenting with uh, with other things. So, yeah. Awesome. Man, I love that experiment of one and uh, it's me versus me, you know, right? And I think it's applicable for all of us. At the end of the day, it's, it's you against that person in the mirror. Um, whatever your goals are, um, can, can you uh, take that thing on? Um, we're going to move to rapid fire here. Uh, the show's called Elevate Yourself. I'd like to ask, what's, what's one thing that you do every day that elevates you? Anything that you do every day? One thing I do every day. Um, I would have to say, well, I would say the daily workout. That's going to be different every day. I would say my varieties, my workout variety would be the one thing. Since I'm doing triathlons now, I'm running, I'm biking, I'm swimming, I'm lifting weights. So I'm never doing two of the same type of workouts in, in a row a day. So every day is different. So I guess variety is my big thing. Best, you're a, you're a frugal, you're a frugal man. I know this about you. You're, you're good at finding a deal. Um, and you you make things work. Um, best purchase you've made in the last year for less than ten dollars. Less than ten dollars. Yeah, yeah. Got it right here. <laughs> These are uh, latex gloves. Yes. 
And what you do here is you wear these latex gloves under your cheapo little knit running gloves or your bike or for biking, wear them underneath your biking gloves. And uh, you spend $2 on your, like, like I said, the cheap knit gloves, cheap, super cheap, you know, bare bones running gloves. Put those underneath, uh, latex gloves underneath those, your hands stay perfectly warm and those cheapo gloves don't get wet or sweaty at all. You take those gloves off, boom, you're done. You'll ever make. That's a great, great purchase. That's excellent. Um, favorite meal. So like I always say, like my favorite meal, like that last meal, if I have one meal, it's my grandmother's fried chicken, all of the sides, all of it. It's it's the best. I don't know how she does it. That's my that's my go-to meal. Do you have a favorite like meal that's like this is my my one meal that I just love the very most? You know, similar to that, I guess my mother's lasagna has, has always been a, a classic favorite of mine. Um so yeah, I probably have to go with something like that. Yeah. Um, you you do uh, a lot of different exercises. Do you have a do you have a go to workout song, or is there like an '80s song? Or I'm, I'm envisioning some Guns and Roses that it's like, you know what, not feeling it, but if I turn this song on, it's crush it, let's go, we're gonna smoke this workout. So, so interestingly, I, I never listen to any music when I'm running or biking. Oh, but biking is more safety reasons, right? I'm on the road, so I'm right. not going to get the bike on. But uh, I, I never, unlike most people running these days, I never listen to anything when I'm running. I'm always more focused on other things. I'm focused my my effort, pace, foot strike, you know, stride, all, all these little things that I'm always thinking of. Um, I don't really do much. I don't really do much music well doing any aerobic stuff, which is, like I said, odd. But I do have my nice home gym with the, uh, I, I turn on the old Sirius XM um, um, satellite radio, and I'm doing that. So I always usually have Ozzy's Boneyard or, or the, the 80s hair metal playing. Completely uh, perfect uh, lift heavyweight music, so yeah. Yeah, hair metal, 80s hair metal. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a, we talked post-workout, the importance of post-workout. What is your go-to post-workout fuel of choice? And it, I, that's all going to depend on what my workout was, right? That's, again, eating for your metabolic need. So, like I mentioned, if I'm, if I'm lifting weights, and I might only lift weights, like, twice a week, and I'm going to do a two-and-a-half-hour, completely deplete myself, crush myself workout to, you know, empty my uh, empty everything. After that workout... I want cookies and the protein shake. Now, if I'm going to go run for a long run, a smoothie or orange juice, orange juice is pretty quality stuff. You know, um, I want something more liquidy, more um, easier to digest. But if I'm like, if I'm, or, or if like I do, I'll do like some really hard effort track workout or hill work, hill repeats where I'm really oxidizing a lot of glucose and I just, and I'm just out of, out, out of gas at, at the end. I'm going to want some simple sugar. So like those are where the cookies come in, big Newtons, something like that. That's so good. I really appreciate the detail on that because I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's very, it's very activity specific uh, for mental and physical replenishment. Uh, yeah. Well, Dr. Flack, this has been so great. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate you taking some time for us today. Not a problem. My pleasure. As I mentioned, I work for Elevation Health, and we've been in business for 27 years, creating customizable solutions for your fitness and wellness needs. That's right, folks, 27 years. And in our 27 years, we've seen it all. So whatever your needs might be, we got you covered. 
From fitness management and online training to on-site classes and integrated technology, we help small and large groups alike get healthy and stay engaged. I encourage you to learn more about us at contactelevation.com and to follow us on social media at elevation.health.